the 14th of March. I think the 17th of March is when we celebrate St. Patrick's Day. And St. Patrick's Day is not really considered like a Christian celebration for the most part. But it's for St. Patrick. So it should be. So when I looked into the history, I found out that St. Patrick's Day was not about the, uh, the parties and the green drinks and stuff. It was actually supposed to be, uh, and you know, it's, it's also in celebration of Ireland, or a lot of Irish people celebrate it, but they celebrate it because uh, St. Patrick was considered, or is considered to be, the patron saint of Ireland. And so I want to talk a little bit about his story, and then that's going to lead us to our story for this week. So if we go into history a little bit, like in the 400s, St. Patrick was just Patrick. In his teenage years, he was abducted by raiders, and he was sold into slavery. And so we actually have, you know, slavery still going on today where people are being taken like the movie. The movie was, you know, they said the movie was supposed to help highlight the fact that people are being taken and abducted and and put into different types of different types of slavery. Normally, when we think about slavery, we think about old slavery in America uh, where people were taken from one place to another and, and, uh, you know, put in plantations used for farming and stuff like that. But any type of actions or activity that you have to do that's against your will can be considered slavery, especially when some other person is financially benefiting from it. And so just like it's happening today, uh, almost 15, 1600 years ago, it happened with Patrick. He was abducted. He was taken to Ireland. He was put to work on a farm. He was stuck there for six years and he was able to get out. He was a believer before he was abducted. And so while he was away, he actually... um, that time caused him, and he used that time to get deeper into his faith. And so he didn't use the bad time to turn away from Jesus or God and say, you turn your back on me, I'm going to turn my back on you. But he actually got deeper into his faith. He uh, escaped six years later, went back home uh, to Britain where he was from, and after some time there, he believed God gave him a vision of children singing and asking him to come back to Ireland to teach them the gospel. And so he had this vision that the Lord wanted him to go back to this place that he had only known because of his abduction. And he actually did it. He went back to this place that wasn't his homeland. He left his family and he went back there. And uh, and so he was credited with like using the clover, the three-leaf clover, to explain to them about the Trinity. And so he would teach people about God, and he began to evangelize, and he went there as a missionary, and he spent the rest of his life there in Ireland, his non-homeland, teaching people about the Lord. And so what I want to get from that part of the story, I just want us to talk today about sharing our faith or sharing Jesus with other people. And As an encouragement, I want us to remember and think about uh, the fact that it is our job is is what we're going to go into. Uh, Let's turn over first to Judges chapter 2 to see where we're going to go with this. So it's kind of St. Patrick's Day inspired. You can celebrate St. Patrick. You can wear some green if you want to. We're not Catholic. Um, But he did some notable things that we can look back on with honor. He's someone that's in our family. He's somebody that's in our lineage and our heritage, according to us being a part of the body of Christ. So we want to take from his example and see where we can grow from that. 
So we're going to look at Judges chapter 2 and then I'll give you the title for the message today. I have a title and I have an alternate title today, which is great. Because when you have to talk to people and you have to title stuff, sometimes titles can be difficult to come up with. And I got two. And I'm only sad that I can only use one. But since I can only use one, I'm going to tell you both so I can get a couple miles out of it. And it won't be completely wasted. So Judges chapter 2, I want to turn your attention to verse number 7. And we'll read down from verse number 7. It says, well, okay, before we get to verse 7, just remember that the book of Judges comes after Joshua. All right, and the book of Joshua is where we see the end of the first five books or the leadership of Moses. Uh, Moses dies in like chapter one of Joshua. And then we see all the stuff that happened with Joshua and as he was going to be the new leader of the uh, people of Israel uh, or God's people. And then what we're seeing in Judges 2 is like the end of that. So we're going to have that background. We'll pick up at verse number seven. It says, and all the people served or excuse me, it says, and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. So again, for a quick, you know, contextual understanding, you have Moses, he, God used Moses to free uh, his people out of um, the captive of the captivity of the Egyptians. And then they were supposed to go to the promised land, but they got hung up because of some bad attitudes and some bad reports and some lack of faith, grumbling, grumbling and complaining. And so they were in a holding pattern for all these years. But then when Moses died, God uh, raised up Joshua. Remember Joshua and Caleb, they were the leaders because they were the ones that came back with a good report. And God said, those two and all your children are going to go into promised land, but we're just going to wait here for y'all to die. And then all those older people, they... Uh, they passed away and then they went into the promised land. Joshua led them into the promised land. Everything happened the way that it was supposed to happen. So for Joshua and that whole generation, so all that time, they served the Lord. That's what this is saying. And then it goes on to say halfway through verse number seven, uh, all those who had seen all the great works of the Lord, bless you, that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in the board of his inheritance in Timnathirs, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gash. And also, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. Watch, this is something like crazy that happens. So Joshua dies, and then it says, also all that generation were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them. Say, after them. So one generation later rose after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which uh, which he had done for Israel. So Joshua died. The people on his level, like that age group, that age range, they died. The very next generation didn't know the Lord. They were two generations away from Egyptian captivity. Now, how many of your friends and family members are still connecting themselves to slavery in the United States? Right? They know it. They remember it. They think about it. One generation away, they forgot. They were two generations from slavery, not several generations from, 
from slavery, and it was like completely in there. Uh, it's on you know our minds now, but they can they completely lost it in just one generation. So it says they didn't know the Lord nor the works which He had done for Israel. It makes me wonder if they knew the works that God had done for Israel, would they have known Him? So whatever happened, the generation of Joshua and the elders did not raise their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Because one generation away, they didn't serve the Lord. Verse number 11 says the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. Served a completely different God. They went from serving God Almighty to a false God one generation. So we are always one generation away from Christian extinction. If the adult generation is worshiping the Lord and going to church and doing whatever, and the next generation does it, boom, it's over for that time. And there was a a long time after this where the children of Israel were lost, where all these terrible things happened to them because they didn't serve God, uh, all these things that were supposed to happen because of who they were, God's chosen people, didn't happen simply because they let go of who they were. So the title that we're going to go with is Jesus Christ Super Spreaders. Jesus Christ Super Spreaders. And I like this title because I came up with it. Or God gave it to me. But, you know, you, I don't know if anybody saw the, the movie I didn't see it or the play Jesus Christ Superstar. And then we got super spreader events because people are worried about the COVID and the coronavirus and stuff. So we want to be Jesus Christ super spreaders. It's okay for us to have super spreading events for Jesus Christ. So we want to be Jesus Christ super spreaders. And want to talk again about sharing our faith because if we don't, we're one generation away from everything going the opposite direction. That means the generation that your children or your grandchildren are growing up in can be completely opposite direction of what God has. We see how bad it is now, right? And you got churches on every corner and we see all the kind of stuff that's going on. Can you imagine a situation where, if you remember Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom Sodom and Gomorrah was so rotten that God just destroyed it. He he said, there's nothing redeemable about this. I'm going to smoke that place and we're going to just start completely over from scratch. All right, you get one step closer to that when one generation turns its back on the Lord. And so if we don't pass on what we know about God and his goodness and who he is, then we are leaving the rest of those that come after us to live under Satan's leadership and rulership for, for all their days. And we don't know how many generations it will take for people to draw their attention back to the Lord. Could be one generation, it could be the next generation after that. Could be ten, ten generations. What if one of those generations is a book burning generation? And like Amazon, they're trying to, to control what books can go out and what books can't. And it takes a while for people to get back to the Bible and get the word. You saw the other Denzel movie, uh, The Book of Eli, right? There was one Bible left. It was like this dystopian movie, you know, some kind of uh, cataclysmic event on the planet. There was one Bible left in the world and it was Braille, which you didn't find out until the end. There was one Bible left. And so that whole generation couldn't be drawn to God because if you don't have a preacher to tell you God's word, you can't get to him. But you can't have a preacher if nobody can get to God's word. 
We're supposed to be the preachers that are going to tell, take the word to everybody else in the world. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So the first thing we see is that there is an urgency for us to share Jesus with other people. An urgency. Because if we don't, we're leaving their, their whole generation to fall prey to Satan's lies. And, man, I just, whew, I don't want to be there. We're safe, we're okay, because we're obviously in the generation that loves the Lord. But those that we love that are coming after us, can you imagine them having to be in that situation? I don't want to imagine that. That'd be a terrible thing. Uh, So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look down at verse number 17. Verse number 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. How many of y'all are new creatures out there? Amen. Amen. He's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us. Everybody say given to us. us. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. God has given you the job, the ministry, the responsibility of reconciliation. Back in the day when people used to use checkbooks, I think there's a few that, that still do. You're supposed to reconcile your checkbook. Your checkbook. You're supposed to reconcile your checkbook with your bank statement, right? You're supposed to get your bank statement. Back then, you only got it once a month. Couldn't just pull it up on your phone. Or if you got fancy, you could call them and you could put all the digits in on the phone and you could get a list of your transactions and stuff like that. Anyway, you had to reconcile. Reconcile means you get your checkbook in line with what the bank says. Every now and then, if you were that type A, studious, on it person, you found a mistake that the bank made. I never found one of those. I'm, I always had to make the adjustment. But maybe if you were the smart person, you were able to tell the bank they had to make an adjustment. And you could, you know, bring up the things and you show the numbers. Well, when you reconcile something, you bring the two things together. And God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, which means it's our job as believers to help unsaved people be reconciled with God. This is not the job of the pastor. The pastor has the job to preach and teach, to lead and feed. But the Bible says that God gave gifts so that the work of the ministry could be done. God didn't give the gifts as the work of the ministry. God gave gifts so they could teach, they could encourage, they could build up so that the work of the ministry could be done. So we as congregation members are supposed to do the work of the ministry. Now let's think about it for a second. If it was the pastor's job to reconcile, if it was only the pastor's job to lead people to Jesus Christ, what happens when an ungodly government closes the church and says that it's non-essential? How many souls that are supposed to be saved wouldn't be saved? How easy, for, would it, how easy would it be for Satan to cause the door? He would cause a pandemic every year. I mean, you could almost say the flu could be on, on a pandemic level. Yeah. Or whatever the case might be. Whatever, um, you know, civil situation would have to go on. You can bet your bottom dollar that Satan is going to try to do what he can to close the church. Because if the church is closed and the people of God believe that people only get saved at church, then he can keep the body of Christ from growing. Simply by closing the church. And so God already showed us in his word, you know, he already showed us before, though, that we as believers, whoever of us are new creations, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. You can write this down. Matthew 28. 
verses 18 through 20. There's the great commission. Jesus gave us the great commandment before he left. He also gave us a great commission. Great commandments to love uh, God with everything that we have and to love our neighbors as ourselves. The great commission is when he said, all power is given unto me. He said, since all power is given unto me, you go and teach all nations. You go and make disciples. You go and teach other people what I've said. You go and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's our job as believers, young and old, to spread the gospel and to let people know who Jesus is. It is our job. It's our responsibility. It's not like a recommendation. We can't just sow to the evangelist. We can't, you know, oh, I'm going to give some money to the evangelist because, you know, we, I really want to get that word out there. Yes, fine, so to the evangelist that, you know, particularly goes out and evangelizes. But it's also our job. If not me, then who? If not now, then when? Our job to spread the gospel. So we may not go and fill up an arena of people like Billy Graham did and, and spread the gospel. But we can talk to the people that are right next to us. Um, studies tell us that the most introverted person will influence 10,000 people in their lives. It's the job of the believer to influence people for Jesus. But even an introverted believer can influence 10,000 people in their lifetime. So how much more for those of y'all that are not introverts? And I know there's a number of y'all that aren't introverts. Bless your heart. So, how can we be super spreaders? I want to look at. Let's go to Acts chapter 26. How can we be the Jesus Christ super spreader? I want to turn to Acts chapter 26. And I just want to give you three things real quick that we can do and focus on to help spread the gospel. What I'm not going to do, well, I'll tell you that at the end. There's some things we can do to be the super spreader, to help us be in the position where we can help people come into the body. Yes, it's great. If you invite people to church, yes, it's great if that's what you're led to do. But know that you don't have to wait for a person to get into a church service or building to offer them salvation. You can get saved anywhere. Just like you can take communion anywhere. You don't actually have to have bread or wafer or grape juice. You don't have to do that. You can have a Coke, a smile, and a piece of toast. And that could be your communion. You can use your biscuit. You can use a green bean if you want to for communion. It just represents the body of the Lord. And you can use water for all you water drinkers like me in Jesus' name. All right, Acts chapter 26, verse number 18. What do we need to do? Verse number 18 says, um, To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the, pre- from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and the inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith, or by the faith that is in me. So here he's talking about a group of people. And the first thing I want you to, to write down and to start to do is to pray for unbelievers by name. Like consistently have one, three, five, fifty people that you pray for by name. Lord, I'm praying for... Joe, to have an opportunity to receive you as their Lord and Savior. If you want to use me, great. If you want to use somebody else, great. But we need to at least specifically pray for people. There's some people at work that you know, people in school that you know, that you're pretty sure we don't have to judge. But you can, because that's life. 
but we don't have to judge. But you're, you can be pretty sure that some people aren't saved, right? We can be pretty sure. And then there are some people, 50-50, I don't know. But let's just take a stand and say, I want to be a super spreader, so I'm going to start praying for people by name. When we pray for people by name, that gives God the spiritual authority to start making things happen in their lives. So God needs us to play our part on earth so he can do what he wants to do. And if we are if we start praying for people specifically, you pray for your president, you pray for your your mayor, you pray for the the leaders, uh, you know, your political leaders. But you can also pray for the person down the street that, you know, seems really strange or they, they constantly seem unhappy or they seem like really nice people. But, you know, I never see them leaving out when it's a typical church time. So I don't know, maybe they don't go to church. Let me pray for them or let me talk to them and let me find out. If they know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, let me find out if they go to church, put their name on the list and believe God for them. Just pray for them constantly that God will send laborers into their path, that Satan's deception will no longer be successful in them and that they will come to know Jesus Christ, the hope of glory and be able to find out what he has for them. So we are praying those same things that we just saw in Acts 26, verse 18. We also see in Romans chapter 10, verse one, you can just write that down or. Tap that, tap that out or type it out. Romans 10.1 says, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. God wants people to be saved. If people don't get saved, the blood of Jesus was shed for nothing. I don't want to be the reason that the blood of Jesus was shed for nothing. Like if you bless me and you give me a gift card, I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I throw it over in the corner. And I just wasted your money. And that's messed up. I don't want to waste your money. I'm going to use your money. So if you, you know, if that happened, I would, I, you know, always try and make sure I use it because I don't want to waste people's stuff. Well, same thing happened with the blood of Jesus. If we allow it to be wasted, if we don't do anything to make sure that that benefit is used up, then we are a part of wasting it. What else do we need to do to be super spreaders? Let's go to Matthew chapter 5 song we used to sing as children if you grew up in church or near a church. There was a song about this. Like to hear it? Here it go. Now I'm just kidding. I'm just going to read the verse. You can sing the song yourself. The singer sat down, so there will be no more singing from this point forward. Now Matthew chapter 5 verse number 14 says, Ye are the light of the world. See that set on the hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle, put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light to all the house. How many of y'all were trying to find new ways to bounce light off the ceiling with the flashlight a couple weeks ago and we didn't have any power? We, we needed some light. We, I mean, you broke out some actual real live candles. You know, you've seen them in the movie. Well, <laughs> we were doing that too. We are the light, though. And so we're not supposed to put ourselves under a bushel. We're not supposed to hide the fact that we're Christians. Again, like I tell the kids in youth service, you don't have to go stand up on the cafeteria table at lunchtime and tell everybody that you're saved and that they need to repent and be baptized so they don't go to hell. You don't have to do all that, but we also should not hide the fact that we're saved. The fact that we're saved should come through in our conversation. It should come through in the things that we decide to do and the things that we don't do. There are, there are lots of different ways that we can show our light, but the, the, the issue that we have to make sure is that we're not hiding our light, that we're not trying to just blend in and go with the masses. Because our light can be a light to someone else. Whether we find out that our light 
shine some light in their situation. We may never know. But we're supposed to shine the light just in case. So somebody, somebody might see you leave your house every Sunday morning and, and go to church. And they might assume you're going to church because the day and time you leave and that you might be a little bit dressed up or whatever. Whatever it is that you know, we, we might see or assume because of that. And that might start ticking in their mind every time they see you going to church. They might start thinking, maybe I need to go to church. Man, they're committed. They're faithful. Maybe I need to be more faithful. Maybe they identify that you're going to church because they used to go to church and now they don't. And now your shining a light can be God's opportunity to say, hey, look, they're going to church. You know, you might look them up and down spiritually and they might be like, oh, yeah, maybe I need to go to church, too. So we need to let our light shine so that other people can be blessed by that. Again, we're not we're, we don't want to be like the Pharisees. We're not trying to do stuff so people can see it. Hey, neighbor, good morning. I'm just off to church. What are you doing today? We don't have to be like that. Not trying to put anybody on blast or things like that. We just want to allow our light to shine. So the way we talk to people, the things we talk about. There are certain movies, you know, that we may choose not to watch because they're just, you know, completely about something that God's word is against. Your light can shine in lots and lots of different ways. The point is to let it shine. Don't be the person that goes in a group of three or four people and they're having a conversation about stuff that's completely ungodly. And we just kind of chuckle and go along with it, even though we 100 percent disagree. But, you know, I don't want to embarrass anybody, you know, at least. Turn around and walk away and don't be a part of the conversation, you know, and definitely don't get in on it. You don't have to say, oh, man, that's so ungodly. Why would you talk about people like that? (laughs) You can if that's how you are, but we don't have to do that. But we need to let the light shine, because if the light doesn't shine, there's darkness. And when there's darkness, you go to bed early. You don't even think about it anymore because you can't see nothing. and You just go to sleep because there's no power on. Anyway, the third and last thing that we need to do is be ready and willing to spread the gospel. There's going to come a time when you have an opportunity. Like one of the things I used to do when I used to fly by myself, and I'm, a, I'm an introvert naturally, and I don't, I'm like half introvert, half, I don't, I don't like to be around a lot of people. I love y'all, I want to see you at church, but outside of that, I don't want to be around a lot of people. And, uh, and so, I believe the Lord was encouraging me to do this thing for a short time. When I would fly somewhere by myself, I could look at my Bible on my phone, but I found it much more conversational when I had my paper Bible on the airplane. You pull your Bible out on the airplane, you start smacking some pages or reading or doing whatever. They see your Bible. They see your Bible. Ask me where I'm going. You know, ask me what I'm doing. You get those chatty Cathy's that just want to talk to you and, and you don't want to talk. See, like, naturally, I would put headphones in and put a hood on and, like, just shut off my space and have the don't talk to me look on the face and just, you know, leave me alone. And that was before masks, so you could really do it without a mask. Now you just got to really work on the eyes and squint. But before you could, you know, you had the whole face, nose and mouth would get in on it. But, you know, the Lord was like, oh, you shouldn't do that. And I was trying to be more, you know, whatever. And so, you know, I just take my Bible. And sometimes people ask you stuff and you have an open opportunity. But when that opportunity comes up, we have to be ready for it. Look at First Peter. Chapter three. First Peter, chapter three, verse number 15. Says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready 
always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. It says, be ready to give an answer to every man. That means a child might ask you about Jesus one day and you need to practice or know how you would tell a child about Jesus. You need to be able to tell someone who you think is like above you, somebody that you think maybe is, is smarter than you, maybe they you know, have more degrees than you have or more finances than you presently have in the bank at this very moment and you might feel a little bit different than you think they feel, whatever the case might be. Know how to teach the gospel to that person. Know how to teach the gospel to the person that's on the street. Every man, every situation that you can imagine yourself being in, busy yourself with trying to figure out how do I share the gospel with them. Now we could have made this message today about how to share the gospel and, and going through that actual, those actual steps, but that's not what I believe the Lord has for us today. You can ask me, you can ask your pastor, you can look up videos, you can search things on the web. How do I share my faith? Lots of different people have lots of ways, lots of ideas. Go through those. Find out which ones you're more comfortable with. There are people that will walk up, like they'll just straight cold call somebody. Just walk up to them. Do you know where you're going when you die? And that just like sucks all the air out of the room. I was voting one time. I was in line to vote and this guy behind me asked, you know, somebody else and he was loud. I mean, we're in the line to vote. You know how people are because you don't want anybody to know who you're voting for or not voting for. It's just a quiet situation. Like turn your phone off and all this stuff. Do you know where you're going when you die? And that wasn't his exact phrase. It was something like that. And the person was like, oh, <laughs> I don't. I don't really, well, the Bible says, you know, and they like went on with it. They did it. You don't have to do it like that. But be ready to give an answer. So one, we want to pray for people by name. Two, we want to let our light shine, allow God to use our life in whatever way he wants to. And number three, we have to be ready and willing to spread the gospel. We need to get training on sharing our faith. Look it up online, read it, watch a video, whatever. But we cannot continue to make excuses for why we didn't tell that person about Jesus. You know, it really is true that you might be the last invitation that somebody gets. Like I know, you know, sometimes we think that's heavy and deep or whatever, but it really is true. Sometimes people get an opportunity on their deathbed. Sometimes people find out that their time has come way earlier than anybody expected. We may not see them next week. They just might move. You know, it doesn't have to be anything deep or bad. They just may not be at work next week. So we need to take the opportunity. Allow God to share in your heart. Be sensitive to the Spirit if He wants you to share something. Sometimes we'll plant a seed. Sometimes we'll water. The Bible says God gives the increase. So don't be distracted or worried if every time you share Jesus with someone that they don't accept. That's okay. It's not your job to make them accept. It's your job to give them the opportunity. Once you give them the opportunity, that's between them and God. That's on you. I did what I was supposed to do. I hope you receive, but that's up to you. Don't be discouraged. You might give a seed that somebody else will later water, but you might be watering a seed that somebody else already planted. So don't think, oh, I can't say anything to them, blah, blah, blah. You might be the water. They might just be waiting for somebody to ask them. Sometimes, you know, we'll do a church service and, you know, 
It'll look like a certain person isn't paying attention, especially when we used to do like use camp or use service or something like that. Somebody's on their phone the whole time. But as soon as you say, if you want to accept Jesus, come down here. That one person that you could have swore was not paying attention to a word you said runs down front and gives their lives to Jesus. They just needed an opportunity. You might be that opportunity. Amen. Go ahead and bow your heads. I'm going to pray and we're going to close this out. Father, we thank you again for this time, this word that you shared with us. I pray that you will help 